Hey folks, welcome back. We've returned from hiatus and we have so much to share. First, Matt Kriske is joining our team. That's Jack's brother. He's seen some stuff and now he's our truck guy. We have a truck guy. He's going to be uh, running comms and data and all sorts of nerdy stuff while also checking things out on his cool gadgets. So he is our third haunted gatherer. That's what I just decided we call ourselves. What do you think? going to also be pulling you into the action today because we recorded a portion of the episode from the hessian village itself specifically the cabin where we were spending the night so why don't you prepare yourself for a night dark and stormy let's go on an adventure to the brink of bad maybe get some answers to the big questions Let's leave our shells and who we are behind Understand, understand That it's just the other side Cue the loud drum beats Try to communicate clearly Welcome to Haunt and Gather, a podcast about the new American folklore in the great outdoors. I'm Haunt. And I'm Gather. And we're Haunt and Gather. Gather. Uh, That felt that felt right. It really did. I'm also I'm also I'm also Ben. And I'm also Jack. We wear many hats. Yeah, so um. Originally, this episode was supposed to be about our return to the Hessian village discussed in episode two. But somewhere along the way, we lost the plot. Yeah, we we definitely lost the plot and strayed very far. But we came back. And it's not because of what happened after or during the visit to the Hessian village. It was actually... What built up? Yeah, the portents and kind of the lead up was something else. Actually, one might say, in some ways, it could have been more exciting than the village itself. I think it was, honestly. The the actual visit to the village, it wasn't uneventful, and we're going to talk about what happened at the village, but... The reason why we took away from it what we took away was because of uh, one to two months leading up to that point in time. It changed how we looked at the paranormal at that point in time. And it's something that you will hear in the first episodes and in the first three episodes, particularly episode three, we were increasingly in this particular headspace and I believe it's in episode three, we talked about passively how there had been some strange occurrences already happening. Yeah, we alluded to it. I don't think we went into a ton of detail, uh, but there was quite a lot going on in the buildup to this trip. And we recorded at at the trip itself, too. So we're going to do a couple things in this episode. Uh, we're going to, much like last time, break it up into chapters 
and we're going to talk to you about the buildup. We have divided this into three neat, clean stories, three chapters that lead up to the forest itself. Then when we get to the part of the story where we return to the Hessian village, uh, we're going to play the audio we recorded there, unedited and raw. And then afterwards, we're going to come back to have a conversation. So without further ado, I'm ready if you're ready. Absolutely. I will say first that uh, we are going to be spending a little bit more time, not just on the theories, but we're going to be defining terms, something that I don't think we've done well in the past. And I've noticed that people who have listened, uh, currently all 10 of our listeners, uh, aren't going to have, I will say, uh, as much of a background in the specific things we've looked into necessarily. Uh, and maybe you're listening to this, dear listener, and you've heard all of this before, but just in case, we will be defining terms and talking about them. The first one, before we jump in, is high strangeness. Jack, can you tell me what high strangeness is? Absolutely. So high strangeness is more than just your run-of-the-mill paranormal your ghosts your goblins high strangeness is this odd all-encompassing phenomena uh that kind of is pervasive throughout the woods uh potentially your home mostly the outdoors high strangeness encompasses everything from bigfoot to phenomena known as the trickster entity to certain things called co-creative theory uaps and lights in the sky can be lumped into high strangeness uh it is kind of this catch-all for this vast unseen ecosystem that may or may not all tie into each other vast unseen ecosystem is, is what i want to work with uh i will also say that high strangeness is a theory in many ways so for example uh jack mentioned Bigfoot, a lot of people in the high strangeness community, for example, loop Bigfoot into they kind of co-opt Bigfoot into their into their theory. We strongly disagree with that, which is a yes. We're going to have that talk. Very important <laughs> disclaimer. Yeah. So so when we talk about high strangeness, we're talking about I would even I think you defined pretty well the the community uh, when. Jack and I are talking about high strangeness. We're typically talking about that sweet spot that's between UFOs and strange dimensional stuff. Anything weird that could yes. happen because of sci-fi. Liminal. Weirdness. Liminal's a very popular. Liminal is the cat is is such a catch-all term right now. I love it, but um. That that's what that word is getting at. Also, you said UAP. I want to take a moment to say that if we say UAP, we kind of mean UFOs. Yes. Uh, UAP means unidentified aerial phenomenon. And the reason why we are defining that is because aerial phenomenon means something in the sky, whereas UFOs uh, sometimes are transmaterial or USOs unidentified submersed objects there there's there have to be different catch-all terms so something could be flying or submerged uh so uap so, is a more technical term 
to to not dig too deep in why all of the variation why does that matter for those of you that are not necessarily aware the united states government specifically the department of defense did declassify uh, and acknowledge the existence of uaps unmanned aerial or un, i'm sorry unidentified aerial phenomena um yeah, the government made it a big deal and that's that's yes. why we're using their term sometimes uh so if you hear uap we're talking about ufo stuff if you hear high strangeness we're talking about quite a lot of different quite, things quite a lot uh but it's again that weird there's a strange light in the sky so i think with those definitions and we will have more to come let's begin all right let's do it chapter one portents so our story begins with haunting gather beginning we have a social media presence a baby one proto presence <laughs> we 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 sometimes post once or twice i think that we say clever things because it's me so we're trying to make contacts and we we do manage to we we strike up a couple of really great contacts in the community make some friends uh one of the people we spoke to, I don't have permission to use her name. I, I didn't reach out to her. So I'm going to call her Anna for now, and I'll reserve the right to, <laughs> I don't know, edit this later on. So uh, I'm talking to Anna. We had just begun speaking, uh, and a synchronicity occurs. So, Ben, what's a synchronicity? Okay. So I'm glad that we resolved to start defining terms because uh, we're going to need to do that a couple times. This is going to get a little advanced. Uh, oh, yes. So a synchronicity is something that goes beyond a coincidence. It is typically a chain of coincidences which, when combined, lend a greater significance. And it's not going to be a kind of run-of-the-mill coincidence. You know, my horoscope mentioned something about wetness and it started raining. It's going to be something that resonates and has a context that's almost uncannily specific to you. It's going to resonate. And these tend to ramp up. A part of the tradition with high strangeness is that these tend to ramp up more the more you research and even think about high strangeness and then the closer you get to revelation or follow a path the the more synchronicities will begin to occur it's a sign you're on the right path is it, the belief in the high it, strangeness it's like you keep getting rewarded with little treats to show that you're going in the right direction yes so the the first synchronicity specifically is we're hearing uh, from Anna about an Estes session. And an Estes session is another one of those terms that we're going to define. So those of you that have watched almost any ghost hunting show within the last 10, 15 years have likely heard of something called a spirit box. Where it's that horrible loud thing. Yeah, it's the it's the feedback. It's the reverb machine 
uh, where you can get voices out of the garbled, shrieking white noise mess. An Estes session. Specifically, I, I do want to quickly mention what that white noise garbled mess is. Uh, I'm going to assume point. No, someone listening knows absolutely nothing of what we're talking about. True. We'll start uh, from the beginning. So very briefly, uh, the Estes method was developed first, and, and basically someone wanted to contact ultra-terrestrials. They now use it to try to speak to ghosts, but the idea is by running through a radio frequency backwards, you're getting these tiny, almost millisecond-long blurts of audio that are running through so many frequencies that you don't land long enough to get a complete word or phrase. You're just getting sound. Theoretically, something could use that sound to speak to you. Right. And what is interesting about the Estes session is that instead of it being, you know, one dude with this spirit box that's running these radio frequencies rapidly back, you know, backwards, where everyone can hear it and interact, they actually have on headphones. And because they're getting that white noise blasted straight into their ears, they can't hear what the rest of the group is asking. So whatever they're hearing, whatever words or sentences or whatever come out, they'll simply say, and they can't hear what the rest of the group is saying, either in asking or in response. It's sort of, it's like a double blind of a spirit box. And a part of the idea is that if you're hearing a voice come through that noise, that should be impossible because you're not staying on a frequency long enough. And that voice is subsisting across, across multiple frequencies, dozens of yes. frequencies to say a, a word to you. Now, I will point out, as many critics do, that your brain is wired to find patterns in this and is you're often blindfolded and have headphones on. You're depriving your senses. It, so it's it's not without controversy, um, but it's a little bit of a million monkeys with typewriters in a room, right? Potentially. Um, but what's interesting is uh, our our friend Anna has a. um an Estes session, uh, she had an interesting phrase come up uh, and asked me if it meant anything uh, to me. She hadn't reached out to many people and we hadn't been talking that long. This was a shot in the dark. The phrase was Jack disrupting Holly. She asked if that meant anything to us. And it really is significant. Uh it's a long story. It's one definitely for another time, but it goes all the way back to the very first paranormal experience that Ben and I had together, going all the, all the way back to college. But suffice it to say, that was a synchronicity because it referenced a very specific event to both of us. And you'll find a pattern in these things that built up to the Hessian village is that they all tied to Jack, I'm, I'm going to give away a little bit of the pattern in advance so that listeners, you, you can see it as it emerges. Every single thing that we learn, anything significant that happens is about Jack, yet it's usually me receiving a message of some kind about Jack. Now, who are these messages coming from and why are they coming? Great uh, these question. Are great, 
great questions that drove us crazy for months, which is a part of why we ended up in the headspace we ended up in. Could be nothing. But uh, we, we had the synchronicity bubble up. That gets us talking. So Anna and I start talking, and uh, we're sharing some of our paranormal experiences before we recorded them. Uh, we talk about uh, everything you heard in episode one, two, and three of the podcast. Um, I also talked about the background story, of course, of why Jack disrupting Holly as a phrase meant a lot to us. Uh, and while telling these stories, uh, it turns out that um, Anna had a family member who had actually played on Downs Road as a kid, uh, which was that was, again, a huge synchronicity is that this person had heard about the Melonheads as a kid and gone looking for them. Uh, so the, these coincidences just kept happening. And as these th- as they're rolling in, we're falling kind of deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole where, uh, you know, this was definitely, I would say, our first major run in with this many synchronicities so close together. And so we're in full on what does it mean mode? You know, is it building up to something? We have this trip coming up. Is it trying to tell us something? Are we being warned? And we're just kind of rolling over the possibilities a mile a minute in our heads, trying to make sense of uh, being reached out to in a very profound and direct way, at least so it seemed. And you'll have picked up by now that we are more leery about communicating directly with paranormal beings than a lot of people are in these fields. We're open to the existence of non-human intelligence uh, whether that's something that's spiritual or something that is beyond the realm of our understanding at this point in time uh, we're very leery of it Uh, we're open to it existing and we don't want to try to communicate with it directly ever so it seemed like something was trying to send a message we're continuing to talk with uh, Anna we're continuing to talk with several other people at the same point in time and we're also watching uh, Hellier, uh, a show that I have mentioned before on our podcast. It's about high strangeness. And we're in this headspace where there is the phenomenon, capital P phenomenon, uh, this this thing that seems to have a will of its own that people are talking about. And it will lead you down a path and there will be synchronicities. And here are some books you can read on it. It it's almost like there's this belief system that is fueled by a lot of a lot of strange goings on. And if you're into that sort of stuff, it's very easy to begin to buy into this this body of of belief. So we started turning ourselves onto onto that way of thinking at that point in time. We did because it is a super it is it's super engrossing. It's. I don't want to make the huge leap, but it's almost like you're getting wrapped up as the main character in your own unfolding story to to chase those leads and try to get more synchronicities and gain more understanding can be almost addictive as far as a hunt for answers is concerned. Absolutely. We've talked about uh, in privately 
we've talked about main character syndrome specifically as jack is at the eye of the storm with these synchronicities oh i was um, not a fan J- hey uh jack came up in this strangers estes session from across the country and we were the like one of the first people that heard about it and your name was in it and then uh that person who when that name came up they had a family member that was right by jack's place and and it was so many of these things that were repeating and for a long period of time jack was like this ah, this is this is nothing and i even said don't worry about main character syndrome if this is happening to you this is happening to you for a reason to this day i still hold true to that i will say i'm not poo-pooing this line of thinking but if we do want to talk about someone who is falling down the rabbit hole is obsessed with themselves we need to talk about john keel chapter two mothman on the beach and speaking of john keel you got a chance to read the mothman prophecies very recently i did uh i read the mothman prophecies by john keel the bible of high strangeness in many ways it is the the central text that uh a man who coined a lot of the phrases that we're using to describe high strangeness uh wrote this book about the silver bridge disaster and the mothman as a you know quote unquote cryptid i i took it to florida actually uh my fiance and i were in disney with her family we were doing the run disney marathon and uh so i am at the I'm at the Coronado, and I'm in this hammock. It's, you know, it's January <laughs> everywhere, and we're in the Northeast, and it's a, a snowy hell, but I'm I'm currently in a hammock by some water as some off-season Christmas music is still playing, uh, and I'm reading The Mothman Prophecies. It was such a horrible reading experience that we are going to address that book as a as a project but it is filling it is filling my noggin with the ideas of synchronicities and all the strange things that can occur when you're in the eye of the storm of high strangeness and the capital p phenomenon so meanwhile while i'm i'm chilling out and i'm 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 day drinking Right. So while Ben's day drinking and getting some very spicy hot takes about the work of Mr. Keel, uh, my brother and I decide that we're going to go ahead and play with his new night vision. So he gets this really cool PVS 14 night vision set. And we're like, man, we're going to go climb the nearby mountain and get up to the top and we're going to go stargazing with it. Because I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to look at the night sky through night vision, but it is absolutely breathtaking. We mostly got a chance to do that. But we had some unplanned events. (laughs) So we go ahead, we pull up, we walk up the path, and we're about, I would say, 10 minutes into the woods, very much climbing. Uh, We get past a, you know, we get past a fairly open rock face had to kind of scrabble up that it's still like 
Ben said up here in the Northeast, still icy, still snowy. So we get past it. And that's right around the time that my brother's headlamp dies. And he's like, oh, shoot, my headlamp died. That's weird. I'm like, I thought you replaced the battery. He goes, yeah, I did. I'm like, oh, guess you just have to use the night vision. And he's like, oh, I guess so. And he gets to play with his toy. So he flips the night vision down and we navigate by by night vision and red light. We come off the rock face. We go into the woods. Uh, We got a few glances at the night sky. I probably could have sat out there for hours just staring up. It was breathtaking. There was more white than black in the night sky. I highly recommend it if you ever get the chance to to stargaze with night vision. But now's where we stop doing that because we get back into the woods and we are going along a switchback that's sort of going up a ridge. And that's when we stop and we're looking off down the ridge into the woods. It's a pretty good clear night. But it's also pitch black. And he's like, hey, this is a great spot for you to see what looking through the woods with night vision is like and how like it's so hard to see right now. You can look through this and it lights everything up. And I did. And it was really cool. And that's right around the time that we start hearing crunching. Something pretty big is moving down below us. And our first thought is, oh, sweet. It's a deer. Oh, my God. And I'm all excited because this is my first time playing with night vision. So I'm like, I'm going to go see a deer through this night vision. And I go looking and I'm scanning the woods and I'm seeing absolutely nothing. And I'm sitting here like, wait, wait a minute. No. I heard it moving. It's not small. It's got to be right here. I how on God's green earth am I missing it? So I hand the set back to Matt and I go, hey. I can't see this thing. Maybe maybe you can spot it. You've got more time on this set than I do. And he goes, yeah, sure. And he grabs it and holds it up to his eye. And he goes, did did you turn it off? And I look back at him and go, no, no. Why? And he goes, oh, because it's off. And he plays with it for a few seconds. And this set is not coming back on. And the two of us kind of stop for a second, look at each other. And come to a bit of a realization. And that's when Matt says in that like forced, loud, casual voice of, you know, I don't want something to know that I'm aware. He goes, oh, man, well, that's a bummer. The battery died and I didn't bring a spare. I'm like, oh, I caught on immediately. Oh, no worries. Let me uh, let's get that put away. We'll pull out our flashlights. And well, I guess the night got cut short. And while we're having this conversation and I'm putting his night vision away and handing him his flashlight, the temperature drops about 10 degrees around us and we can start seeing our breath. And that was more reassurance that what we thought was happening is exactly what was happening. So we make our way back off the mountain a little faster than it took us to get up Hmm. up the mountain, back to our cars, and we leave. So... That was a very jarring experience. We get back and we're inspecting the electronics that malfunctioned. And the first thing is, well, let's pop the batteries. Let's see what happened. And the very first thing I notice when I take the batteries out of the two affected pieces of equipment, the headlamp and the night vision, they are freezing cold. Colder than the casing itself? 
Yeah, as in, like, you would have thought that the batteries, just the batteries, were in, like, the fridge for a few hours. Uh, They were frigid. Not quite, like, frost-forming on them, but uncomfortably cold to hold in a way that the batteries in, like, say, my flashlight, for example, were not. Now, could you also clarify how long the night vision had been used and how long it's battery is intended to last okay so it runs off a single double a battery we were using it constantly for maybe 45 minutes and it is supposed to last for hours with constant use not shutting it off you know letting it do its thing it's actually surprisingly low energy consumption but a battery but will also you had mentioned that you had put a battery in and it took some time to fire up once you did that. Could you explain why right. that's significant? Right. So like I'd said, we, we got home and now we're troubleshooting the equipment. Why did it die? And we go ahead. We note the batteries are super cold, highly unusual. Put new batteries in the headlamp. Great headlamp works. And pop a new battery into the night vision and the night vision doesn't immediately turn back on. And that's when my brother's thinking to himself, oh, crap. My brand new, very expensive toy is broken. But he flips it over to infrared, and we see the little red light come on to show that the IR illuminator, the infrared spotlight on the set itself, did light up. So now we're thinking to ourselves, okay, weird. And... When we kick it back on, it takes another about five to ten seconds, but then it flickers back to life and the set's working again. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole explanation of how night vision works, but it's a lot of photons and electrons bouncing around inside that tube, and it's supposed to be instant on, instant off. It's analog. It's an analog. It, it is literally a, it is literally an analog device that charges photons and electrons inside the tube. Whatever happened to this thing killed it so dead that the battery was completely tapped and all of the energy inside the tube was sapped along with it. And it took a good five to ten seconds for it to build up enough charge to kick back on again. Okay, so so far, besides the headlamp and the uh, battery, the battery of the headlamp and the battery of the night vision, it also looks like the actual tube itself was drained completely sapped dry of any energy inside of it now how did you feel how did you feel both while there and how did you feel afterwards so at the time we just felt suddenly colder the more we were over the you know the more we were in the area uh there was the audible or there was the audible there was the noticeable temperature drop you know, to the point where we're actually <laughs> now, yeah, the audible. Oh man! <laughs> but there was the noticeable temperature drop where we just start seeing our breath, and it was not, it was not a warm night, but it certainly wasn't a frigid night, and that was a very much like one second it's fine, another second it's oh, I'm really cold now. Uh, but we were mostly okay that night, minus feeling pretty shaken up, because we were fairly certain that we'd run into something unseen in a very familiar wooded area that we knew very well, 
that had just drained two pieces of our technology. And we reluctantly went to bed, um, hoping that whatever it was didn't follow us home. And we wind up waking up the next morning and both of us felt hungover is the best way that I can describe it. Uh, drained, headachy, uh, dehydrated, kind of light sensitive. Like it, it felt like I went on a night of just a little too much drinking. And had had you? No, I okay. hadn't touched a drop. I feel like it's necessary just to, to clarify. Distinction. Now, that's actually common uh, with energy drain when people are, for example, at a haunted house, and they describe. You know, their their batteries draining on their phone or their flashlight, um, they will feel hungover the next morning. That is that is a thing did to you to some degree. What happened to the electrons in the tube? What happened to the battery? Um, the hangover feeling has been reported a lot. So. So that was significant when I heard about this. I was having the time of my life, but um, I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I did the, I'd finished the 10K, and I think we were in Hollywood Studios <laughs> around that time. But uh, I had theories. Uh, I know that, I know that your brother, I know that Matt theorized. He he's very lore specific. He likes the yes. idea of things matching things in lore books, and so he was like, it was. It was winter. There was a party. It was leading you know, up to the, the solstice. It was the wild hunt. You know, a, 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 a fae from the wild hunt detached from the wild hunt and tried to join our revelry and played a mischievous prank on us. Now, I mean, I think that you're really dramatizing what he was saying it was a oh i'm sinister. sorry was he it very was... soberly saying that i no no i mean no I, i'm saying don't misconstrue the ridiculousness he does no he he felt that it was potentially an outrider from the wild hunt that was be- coming to kill us it wasn't yeah i just i feel like it oh, wasn't I'm... lighthearted. <laughs> i'm just saying that if the wild hunt was real if the wild hunt was real uh which it is necessary in this day and age to clarify the wild hunt pre-exists the Witcher yes. folks. Uh, but the Witcher, but well to the Witcher, it has everything to do with the Witcher. Sure. Uh, so the, if the wild hunt was real and an outrider came to kill you, uh, I feel like you guys be d- dead. Yeah. I don't think we would have made it off that mountain if that were the case. Don't think he'd quietly and meekly drain your batteries. No. I don't know. I feel like it'd be louder too. I don't know. That was that was my. I wasn't buying it. There was a distinct lack of hoof, you know, hoof beats from a horse. But I respect. I respect the opinion because also, I mean, we couldn't see it. Beats me. No. Uh, now, your theory to me was equally humbug, which was. I think it well I, I sensed it wasn't of the mountain because this mountain is my mountain. I'm there a lot. This thing wasn't of the mountain. I agree well, with that part. Yes. It it didn't belong there. It was definitely passing through. Uh, my initial theory was something along the lines of one of the jinn from folklore. 
You know, there there yeah. are specific kinds that are known to roam. Uh, they will waylay travelers. They will drain energy. Um, hey, like those road weirds we yeah talk about. So mm-hmm. so I was I was open to that a little bit more, but uh, at the same time. I was on that synchronicity stuff, man. I was thinking, <laughs> okay, once again, we just a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago, we hear about that Estes session. Then just, you know, another week ago, I hear about more coincidences with Jack. And now he goes out in the woods to use the, we're already thinking about the Hessian village, right? Yeah. Is this building well, up we to the were Hessian less village? Than a month out. And now they're using the night vision that they're planning to really debut at the Hessian village and really use on an investigation for the first time. And something goes, no, you're not. Yeah, no, off. No, off. Get rid of it. And I was inclined to think it was sending a message of some kind. And it was, again, for Jack. So so that was that was that was my takeaway. My takeaway regarding the night vision is. Oh, you felt the need to send a clear message like that? It's afraid of it. Good, we're going to use it. And I, I at that point in time, it was one of two messages. It was either I don't like I don't like the night vision because it might see me, and it tried sending a warning. Jack was like, then I'll you then I'll super use it. My mm-hmm. takeaway was don't rely on the night vision. It could have also been something helpful, saying, hey, buddy. Don't rely on your fancy new toy. Now, me having had my energy sapped by the damn thing and it's stalking me off the mountain, I really didn't find it very helpful. I didn't get a good Samaritan vibe off of this thing. Well, you know, from Disney, I had a different perspective. Yes, yes, from your peaceful beach in Florida. I imagine it would seem different. Chapter 3, The Hanged Man. Okay, now this... This is a pretty ominous sounding chapter, but uh, it actually started with Jack and I talking to each other, joking about something at his job. Um, He was stepping away from a prior job and he was trying to think of how to motivate uh, some people uh, under his supervision. And I had used the phrase in context of giving someone advice versus giving someone enough rope to hang themselves with yes and he had said enough rope to hang themselves with and i had said or to pull themselves up with conversely and the joke turned into tarot and eventually i was like oh yeah tarot absolutely you know like the hangman reversed just pulling and, something completely and, out of my out of my head. I don't. And that's know how what it turned tarot to tarot. Looks like. That, by the way, that is how it. That is how. Like we didn't go yeah. to tarot, and then you said that. That would have made sense. You just said that. Yeah. <laughs> you just said that out of left field. You were like, oh, yeah, the hangman inverted, and I was like, ah, it's a fine a fine card. And uh, I'm you're like, like wait, well, what, I, what do you? Mean? I just I made, made that up. up. Uh, I was like, no, uh, the hangman is certainly a tarot card um so i'm a little on the high strangeness juice at this point so i'm like what do you mean i just randomly made something up and it turns out to be one of the more important tarot cards 
So this is the third time now. First, it was the story from Anna online with the Estes session. There, there is a there is an entity that is interested in him. Then he goes in the woods to use some equipment and something's really interested in the equipment he's using. And now he's blurting out tarot cards. What is happening? We are freaking out now about the Hessian village. And so I'm like, okay, so you blurted out a tarot card that you either subconsciously absorbed through pop culture and forgot you did, or you genuinely made it up. But uh, that's not kind of the the pop culture you consume. No, not really. So, hey, I know who I know who knows about tarot cards. Anna from chapter one. Hey, Anna. I feel like in this saga, you're the person we're supposed to go to. What what would the hanged man inverted mean? And what that means, by the way, is that if you take a tarot card like the hanged man and to some people, if it's drawn upside down, it's that inverted. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's the opposite. It can just be about the perspective you interpret the card from again. Uh it could uh, Jack mean and I, that your interpretation, there's a t- twist, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it can it can change the perspective of the interpretation to some people. Um, Jack and I, it's very important to note, again, we shy away from any form of divination. Um, if it's real, if it's real, then we don't want to touch it. Uh, this this goes for whether it's tarot or a Ouija board or the Estes session. If this stuff doesn't work, there's no point in using it. If it works, there's a huge reason not to use it, mm-hmm. which is that it works. Yeah. So don't get something's you know, attention. Yeah, that, that, that's our that's our practice. That's a part of our code of best practices. We have our reasons for doing things that way. And that's worked for us. If if people want to use those methods, we respect it, but it's very important to this story that the last thing that we would want to do is make some pulls from the tarot deck. Uh, However, so I was drinking deep of the Kool-Aid of high strangeness at this point as well, thinking that there there are too many coincidences. There's too much tying together. Something is very clearly reaching out. And so on on a rainy morning, I'm talking to Ben while in my car. And I tell him, maybe, or I ask him, I, I'm thinking maybe if this thing is trying to get in touch or tell us something, do I do a pull from a tarot deck? Is yeah, this we, potentially something vital leading up to our trip to the Hessian village? Like, am I? That was the advice we got, and it was good advice. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's am I am I leaving an important piece of information on the table if I don't do this? So, we had to have a quick stop in conversation and reassess because when we had set out on Haunt and Gather, a big emphasis for us is how to responsibly 
investigate the unknown, being very open-minded to it, believing in much of it, and still keeping our defenses up. Uh, we don't want to bring things home with us, and we don't want our headspaces to get into a dark place where even if nothing follows us home supernaturally, something could still follow us home traumatically. And one of the hard rules we put in place was against divination. And that's interesting because we were at a point when we stopped and considered it. And so we had to think about the fact that like, well, this is the first time we're really being tested. We said we'd be tested. We had said there would be a temptation to do these things. And well, now that it's here, it, it kind of makes a whole lot of sense. But isn't that exactly what temptation is? Exactly. Not, not that it's a bad thing necessarily, but again, and I'm I'm still thinking in terms of the the phenomenon having its plan for us, for you, Jack. And it's up to this point in time without without doing any of these methods without trying to directly contact a thing if the if the phenomenon is a thing that has will it has purred at your leg like a cat it, it, anytime we have gone somewhere looking for the strange we have found it maybe that is because we're doing things differently and this could be a test and it hopes you don't make the pull And it was this philosophical debate for probably a good 30 minutes before we sort of refound ourselves and reminded ourselves of exactly what our ethos is, what our methods are. And we came to the conclusion, no, no, let's not do this. I and I want to make it clear, like I, I own tarot decks. I, I oh, own likewise, I have one, too. I, I think they're fantastic. As someone who's into tabletop gaming, it is a and into art. They, they're just they're they're beautiful. The, the artwork is fabulous. Um, I have my my personal favorite tarot cards. Uh, they they have deep and symbolic meaning to them to me. It is just the idea of making a pull with the intention that there is an intelligent entity that means to tell me something and it is going to shape either what card I draw or the interpretation, my interpretation of what that card means. To me, that is me opening up my will to be molded by something whose intentions I do not know. And that is why that specifically was like, Maybe this isn't it. And that's pretty that's pretty significant. And that's what that statement right there is what informs a lot of how we choose to observe and study these types of phenomena. Uh, we don't know their intentions. They could be pure. They may not be. We generally do not feel comfortable actively engaging without more information. And these are things that it is traditionally very hard to gather good data on. You know, another thing is Anna's advice, by the way, when she interpreted the hanged man inverted was 
there is a a change in perspective that is required because the hanged man has knowledge and he's at peace with his situation, his place of discomfort. He's hanging by his foot and to be inverted means he that Jack may need to change his perspective and try something that he typically wouldn't do to get answers at the Hessian village. And she recommended making the pull while at the village, yeah. which um, is such a perfect it's a perfect card. It's a perfect interpretation. Right. So we're going to get soon to the Hessian village itself. But I wanted to say that because you need to hear the story of what built up to the Hessian village. This this wasn't any longer just us coming back to the place where we saw the orbs in the woods that that that. That was such a change because episodes one, two, and three, what you're hearing is two guys who are open to anything. Oh, we're looking for melon heads. Oh, maybe they're fairies. Could oh, be goblins. Could be goblins. Could be anything. Dead Hessians? Maybe. Ooh, orbs. What if it's a scary forest monster? Anywhere we're going, we hear the lore. And we're open to the idea of what I'll boil down to is magic, the unknown, adventure, the the things that we founded Haunt and Gather on. Now we've got this very sophisticated uh, belief system in place that has been informed by a community, by by reading material by the current zeitgeist of the high strangeness community and it's tie into current events in politics. There, there's just what's actively becoming its own pop culture. Yeah. We're like we're in it. And now, well, it's the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Capital P it's all one thing it, and it, and it knows what you're doing and it's got a message for you and it's going to play with you. And, Maybe if you're clever, you'll you'll delve deeper into the mystery. Um, that's now what we're going in thinking. So with that, I, I'm going to bring us into chapter four. The return to the Hessian village. Right. So. The weekend comes and we're prepping for our trip again this is a location that we are not going to be sharing because it is private property and we hope to maintain our open invitation but we set out ben comes down meets up with us we have a pleasant evening to prepare and then we make our way up we wind up reaching the camp had a lovely day getting ourselves acclimated to the area, scouted it out, uh, went to it by day, followed the path past the village, which was actually a first even for me, and yeah, realized... we had to find it. We did. We did. Mm-hmm. And it actually took a little bit of looking. But eventually find it, we did. So Ben finally got to see the source of all of these stories. I uh, got to see the old dugout foundations and view all of that for himself. And so at least with the route in pretty thoroughly 
scouted and cemented in our minds. We head on back, have a little bit of a lunch, tell uh, tell some stories in front of the fire by the cabin, and prepare ourselves for the evening. Now, a couple other things that we did on the walk that I, I just want to bring attention to. Um, there are two paths from the camp to get to the Hessian village. And we, the idea was we started by walking the way we had the first night. You know, now I'm seeing it by day. There had been significant um, weather in the area and uh, it's wet January. <laughs> so, so we weren't sure how easy the tribe would be to manage. And the idea was the other path would be our path out of the village. So if anything went wrong, we might want to take the back way out. It is a very good thing we first did that hike by day because the back path was uh, very poorly marked. Yes. Uh, and a bit we, treacherous. We actually were able to potentially debunk one of the stories we had in episode two, which was that uh, someone hiked to a place where there was tall mountain laurel and that tall mountain laurel shouldn't be anywhere in that region. Uh, well, it was all over you the couldn't see the path. There was tall mountain laurel everywhere. And we could see that if you were, if it was misty and you're going through at night, you could look around and go, Oh, there's no, there's no trail because of how no. it winds and turns. And it's not marked well, and there is mountain laurel as far as the eye can see. Even in the daytime, uh, it was really quite beautiful. But as I'm walking down this path, I can see, man, this is really the origin of where that came from. And now I know. Yeah. I mean, we we still obviously leading up to this point in time, Jack saw the edge of the jacket and the boot of a Hessian uniform. We saw the orbs. There is something significant happening there. But some of these other aspects, same with like the bird call, if you hear the bird call three times like that, that's when the folklore starts to really hit these patterns that humans have an urge. Three repetitions. We we love putting that in stories. Um, the trail disappearing and you're in a different geography. We love putting that in stories. And so you you can go back there. And now that I saw it by daylight, those parts I was able to disenchant a little bit. It is very easy in the right conditions to lose your way up there. So at this point in time, and I don't think we talk about that in the audio that we're about to play. Uh, for you listeners, at this point in time, what we're going to do is we're going to play the audio that we recorded right when we got back from the Hessian village. And after you listen to that, we are going to be right back here and we're going to have some closing remarks and some thoughts. While the two of us were taking our hike to the Hessian village, uh, Matt had the wherewithal to remain at base camp where he created Hessian hike number two log. That's four pages of notes the first entry is that at 9.10 p.m., the team entered, radio check, confirmed we are good to proceed. The second entry is at 9.17 p.m., potential faint apparition. 
Some more checks, sound checks, and the sounds of animals in the forest until the final entry on page 4, 10.55 p.m. Team exits the woods. So we have one, one thing jump out at us, and it's the very second entry on the list. Potential faint apparition. That early on. That early on. You, you told me before we started uh, playing... Before we started rolling, you, you said that it made sense it was this early on. And I guess, it, uh, to me at least, it makes sense talking about it when we got back with kind of the notion of, or the theory, I should say, that you were starting to propose on whether or not this really is present fully at the village. And in the notion that the entire buildup over the kind of the six-year thing or five point whatever years that we had, is that this was, we had something watching. And anytime we talked about it, we had some feeling that came in. Anytime in conversation. Not, by the way, when I wasn't around you two. For me to feel anything, I had to be around the two of you talking about it. It was like almost like a synchronicity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, I think that that's important only because when we approached the field from the uh, from the main trail, I did the scan. I didn't see anything. We got ourselves there. We got ourselves set. We set the log down. We set the parameters down. We did the radio check. Once you guys had entered the woods in at 9:10, all I could hear was you guys and you know going through. And I began my scans under night vision. And it took the seven minute period, which was about two separate scans, before on the third scan. Me sloshing through the mud you, that had receded into the background. There you go. Tripping over branches. Hearing you both, you know, fall over yourselves back there. Um, but yeah, while I was scanning through, and on the third scan, I see this, where this lone tree, kind of on the outskirts of where the rock wall is, and it's very distinct. It's not into the woods, but it is present just prior to the actual open field. And it was effectively like a five or six foot tall apparition vaguely humanoid in shape almost a shadow with no distinct outline but you could not distinctly see through it obviously through night vision it's hard to say i had a white phosphor tube so it's not you know green tinted but it is a cyan tinted and it is it was a grayish is the only way i can describe it and it was there as i scanned and near you know nearly as i saw it it started to phase its way out starting from the top and then you know ending at the bottom so it phased its way out did it phase into the tree did it phase just out of sight it phased almost like it was an invisible line and it entered in through that line and it was gone and it distinctly did not go into the tree so it's almost like it just phased out of reality in its own way which is very, and again, very similar as I talked, you know, I said to you, like, you know, everybody's seen with ghost hunting shows and stuff where it's like, oh, they've got the night vision camera set up, and here's this apparition you can see, and, you know, you see it for the split second, and then it disappears. With way too many sound effects. With way too many sound effects. That, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's so weird that that is exactly how it goes when you're looking at it. Without the sound effects. Without the sound effects, and it's not a camera. It's your originally, own you messaged us on the radio. You messaged Jack. Yes. So he wound up radioing into me, and 
he had mentioned that he had briefly seen an apparition. Uh, it was initially acknowledged we were less than 10 minutes into the hike. And I think the feedback that I gave you was pretty much like, okay, fair enough. Keep us posted if it pops up again. Uh, but that was it. it. And it didn't pop up again. No, it never popped up again. And and Matt had also disregarded it for a bit until we the more we talked about it afterwards because it was like, hey, what what's this note about a faint apparition? And it didn't feel like anything special because when you see an apparition, it doesn't feel like anything special. Your your senses pick it up the same as we've said it before. I'm pretty sure on the show, it's the same as seeing a mushroom or a squirrel. It's just a thing that's there. Yes, the only thing that really stands out is the fact that you you know that this is not something that should be there, and it's wrong. And I think the big thing, too, is how I did really well to... I had a few... We had a few separate things that were happening as far as the nods were... You know, the night vision was concerned. I had the little blowback on the IR... I had a few things with, you know, shadows playing a little differently. But I did my best in the time that I was there, while scanning through, whilst doing the, you know, the normal reconnaissance I was supposed to do, to disprove it. And I was actually able to disprove almost everything but that apparition. I was never able to recreate it. And that whole notion that it was able to block the light behind it. That's huge. Really does. It baffles me, and I could not... No matter how how quickly I move my head, no matter how, you know, because I have it mounted to the helmet. I don't have it, you know, I'm not, it's not a handheld. This is, you know, mount, this is a PBS-14, it's mounted to the helmet, it's how it's meant to be. And I'm scanning through, I get, you know, a few little, you know, dots here and there. We call, we say they're like... I was going to ask about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the, we, I, I call them like the photonist fairies, because I'm running a <laughs> photonist echo. But in night vision, you tend to get these little dots or orbs. And it was actually kind of frustrating me a little bit because after a while it's just going to be it's they're the like they're it. like little artifacts that you get looking through the tube. And of course, when you're looking, and one of the big things we're looking for is orbs in the woods, and all I'm seeing, you know, every so often when I'm looking our through, dancing lights. our dancing lights. It's like, wow, this really could be a disadvantage. And I didn't think as much onto the first few times, and then when I really had like nice buildups and especially the shadows, I went, wow, I could really be seeing sh- I could really be seeing orbs in the woods right now. And I could not tell you definitively so, that that's what it was. A, a couple of points. The first one, the first one being that I think we can agree that, I mean, night vision is a very significant investment, uh, but we definitely have seen a lot of pluses, but definitely a few drawbacks as well. Mm-hmm. If we're looking to maybe get more sets and incorporate that into the field teamwork, never mind his back and face. Yep. Uh, the second one, and this is a general takeaway from the investigation as a whole both halves of this did a very good job at taking what they were experiencing and working to debunk them. Ben and I had experienced a temperature drop when we were We had a temperature drop. It felt really weird. Up at the Hessian Village. But on the flip side, we just hiked 20 minutes to get in there. My butt was on a stump. Yeah. So we... That is vampirizing the warm out of me. Exactly. So we had noted that it was actually almost unseasonably warm getting in there well we just hiked 20 minutes of course we're feeling warm and we just finally stopped uh but sitting down on a stump which is on the ground which by the way like ben said is going to sap your body heat but we were up there for an hour and we noted the temperature drop i would say about 40 to 50 minutes in yeah you're gonna feel that 
We because we're sitting in the cold for almost an hour straight. It's funny because we were so hungry for something to happen. And we were talking about time dilations. Doesn't it seem like time is moving faster for us? Turned out it wasn't. No. We not thought at we all. were forty five minutes in, we were twenty five minutes in. I <laughs> we were just bored. We're, we're we start pacing. Uh we'll we'll talk more, you and I afterwards, about the the lights that we may have seen or may not have yeah. seen. Um, we can't even confirm that that was a credible thing, you know? Right. Uh, so one thing that I wanted to, to point out a difference between base camp and the Hessian village was that I felt great. I did not feel... It, it, what kept occurring to me, what kept running through my mind was, hey, I'm not afraid right now. I'm in a wood where I know I have seen a strange thing before, and in we've talked this up, we can reduce everything out of the last Hessian village story. We can reduce it to what was seen. Yes. Everything else was us psyching ourselves up. We cannot reduce that we saw red orbs slowly moving within 30 feet of us. That would be three of us disembodied lights in the woods, no repairance. And I'm thinking this time, I saw that last time. I know I saw that last time. I feel nothing. I feel calm. Yep. I feel bored. Mm-hmm. I feel disappointed. I I was stood up I, by the phenomenon. I was more worried about bears and bobcats than I was about orbs and other I was things. worried about hearing coyotes and then you're going to be over-responsible and say we should leave when I'm, you know, like, if I got to hit a, a dog with a stick, a, an evil dog, then, like, so be it. Uh, I I want to see the weird thing, so so I'm thinking to myself. I feel I feel calm. Yet there are times when Carly's upstairs, she's going to bed, and I'm downstairs in the den, and I'm like, I'm the only person on the this floor of the room, and there's a lot of lights out. I'm spooked. Yet I'm in a forest i know has had weird things happen in it and i feel fine and a part of that is because jack is to my back and we have a 360 view and boy if i was alone right now i'd feel very different and that's when i remembered you matt yeah and what you must be going through <laughs> so so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna pour our final dark and stormies of the evening this is the third dark and stormy because we just got out of the hessian village so I'm going to make these while you can talk about what it feels like to be alone. Yeah. So it, it is. Please. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting recap because your your experience, weird, normal, or otherwise, was certainly a very different one from our, like Ben said, almost twiddling our thumbs up at the village. We were actually almost relishing the check-ins. Uh, because it was something different. It was something to do. <laughs> I, mean, like, I, I went ahead, I did an EMF sweep, it was nothing, it was exactly as dead as you would expect it to be in the middle of the woods, yep. flat lines and zeros the whole way, kind of reassuring, but also a little disappointing, but that was not quite what you ran into. Hey, I'm going to use up the rest of the mint. Go for it's it. It's going to be super minty. Go for yes. it. Get it, get it rocking. Oh, I want minty fresh drinks. So, um, what I will prefix by saying is that preface, prefix, preface, 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 preface. by saying, it's a few drinks in, gentlemen, um, is that 
doing anything solo, even on the outskirts of the woods, effectively in pitch black for an hour and a half to two hours. It has to be stressful. It is unnerving. And it's unnerving because you only have a certain field of vision. Now, something to make note of with night vision, you strictly reduce down your sight picture by quite a bit when you're looking through a night vision tube to 40, about 40 degrees, compared to your normal sight picture. That, that's true. Kiss your peripheral goodbye. It's pretty, like, it's pretty, you have your other eye, thankfully. But yeah, you lose a lot of that. And I think a lot of it is, thankfully, it wasn't a very breezy night. Or otherwise, it would have been even harder to really deal with. But you get a little paranoid. And you get a little paranoid because you're in the pitch black. When you're running night vision, you're not running any white light. So effectively, what you're doing is you're sitting in the dark. You are looking out into the woods. And you're expecting something. Through a small telescope. Through a small telescope. telescope is your vision. This magic little thing, right? Your magic little device. Here and you you're go. Here you go. Daring out. And you are watching. And you hear things, whether it's you, whether it's, you know, the hair that's on your head, you know, creasing up against the helmet and making it sound like there's footsteps behind you. Mm-hmm. You can even hear the heartbeat in your own ear. It's important that this whole time you were you were debunking. And I really was trying to do my best with it. As much as you could. The, the because presence the... of mind is commendable. Cheers, everyone, by the way. Cheers. Cheers. Fantastic journey this weekend. But it is one of those things where you have to be you have to be very present of yourself and know yourself well enough if you're going to do this on a solo thing. And it's let's face it, it's tough to be the truck guy. We want we want two people next time. Yeah. At base at, camp. Back at the base. I buddy system in general is a very good idea. Yep. While while being base camp or the truck guy. The the dude hanging back. Yep. While that is ostensibly the safest job, you don't want anyone to be alone. Even out, even let's face it, outside of what we expect should have been the area of activity. And we figured yes. out though that the area of activity is general, is 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 it's not is full by now because we have felt a presence when we talk about it in person, which implies that there is, if our senses are correct, something's aware when we talk about it. Now, we did have a moment where um, I did say to Jack, hey, I had a thought about mentioning something that might ruffle some feathers. And what I was thinking about is activity picked up last time we were at the Hessian village when on our way out, I mentioned, hey, maybe it's not the Hessians. You called it out. And if I, and we felt a presence specifically when we talk about the fact that there is a thing at the village that is not what it claims to be and goes deeper. Ugh. <laughs> I didn't get a shiver that time. Surprisingly. Yeah, I, you know? Yeah, it, no, I was not doing that for dramatic effect. I actually got a chill. Yeah, no, I, I got it. again. I got it. I mean, I'm you here, feel great. I, I'm here with you. Like, but, hey. This I, is the first time I've not I got, got a shiver. To me, I got a shiver because I realized just now that I'm, you know... Breaking cool. the method and poking the bear. Well, because I'm right there. Fire, dude. So well, my point is, this is what was said last time. So I was, and in, in then suddenly activity picked up when we said it right in the field. And I wasn't trying to egg anything on. I, I, I said a theory out loud, and we didn't know it would have that reaction. So I, I was saying to Jack, hey, 
what if I said a thing right now? Jack knew exactly what I meant. He's like, let's not do that. But part of the experiment also was if activity picked up just by me saying, what if I said a thing right if now? If we are being actively monitored. Then, right. So so the, you get you get real paranoid playing these games. I guess we were really bored. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of important to note that we definitely took a lot of assurances from the tech that we brought. Uh, we had night vision. We had GPS. We had, you know, numerous flashlights. Can I put this one point in there, though? Yeah. A lot of this stuff we were running, as much as it is a huge benefit, was this not the dry run for, like, the vast majority of it? Yeah. As far as this actual use so, so this is concerned? So the first time that we really utilized a Twice. fairly sophisticated hiking GPS that can drop waypoints and definitively track your movement, it is probably the most powerful unit that's been used in this area. Uh, we've used long-range communications by way of radios, um, a bit more sophisticated than your run-of-the-mill buy-it-at-Walmart kind of things. <clears throat> it was the first time utilizing night vision. It was the first time utilizing two separate teams. First time base camp. That's that's not been a thing that we've done before. No, it's usually we go in with absolutely no support. <laughs> and what and usually is we pick a spot on the map and we walk to it. This yeah. is the first time that we've treated this more like, you know, a mission. Hi, welcome to Haunt and Gather. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This so it's it's just a, it's a new it's a new thing in it. Did it was it a an astonishing success in, in the terms that we it was we were on the haunted mansion ride and there was happy haunts to our left and right? No. No. But but the fact that also we caught things you and I would not have caught if we just went in the woods. And the fact that the person caught it using the new cool sexy toy. Yes. That is pretty neat. I like that. Um, we'll we'll talk I think later on. Uh, I, I have a feeling that this episode is going to be a Frankenstein of recordings, mm -hmm. and yeah, I yeah, think that you and I can talk about the the light that we may or may not have seen. Um, what I want to do while I have us all here together, please. I want us to get weird. Sure. I want to talk. What's going on here? Love theory crafting. Let's let's talk some theory, because the the perspectives is night and day. I, I know that um, particularly Matt historically you've you've had a fondness for trying to tie things to traditional folklore and legends in a way that um, we typically haven't. Uh, but I I like that you're drawing from folklore to make sense of the things that are seen. Um, and, and I think we all have different takeaways. Uh, floor is yours. I want to hear from you what you think's happening. Um, okay. Just open floor on that. As far as the actual stuff that I've looked at, and as far as actual folklore is concerned, I've got to tell you, fellas, at least after tonight, I'm stumped. There's so much in it. I genuinely, I cannot, I cannot narrow it down to any one thing. And I don't feel confident saying it's any one thing because there's so. And I don't even want to. I don't even want to say that the actual things that are going or the actual uh, like appearances, the actual, you know, 
apparitions, the actual events, are very different from each other because we've had consistencies. Except these last few times. Except these last few times. But I'm even talking just historically. You're taking the like the. the, 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 the I'm sorry. The I'm taking the broad picture, and I'm going from like my friends' accountings, what I've seen, what I saw as a kid, what I saw as a staff. What I've told you what about you, my personal experiences, what I learned about from my colleagues on staff. There's such a long history, and again, it's very easy to say, well, it's just hearsay, it, uh, until you go and experience it and you see it, and then we bring you know Ben into it, right. and then all of a sudden Ben's here. He's seeing the same things we're talking about on a random offshoot night. And it, it is weird because it's no longer hyperbole to say that our role of lore goes back decades now. The, I'll point out something that I didn't think about before until you said it. The two times that things have been different than the folklore are the two times someone went to experience the phenomenon who wasn't clued into the folklore as you were taught it. I hate to get co-creative here. You know I hate the co-creative theory, but... It's a mutual hatred. I, but I hate to point out that the moment you brought someone to the weird who wasn't taught how to interpret the weird, you, you but you were, different you, weird things happened. You were indoctrinated into it the same Right, way even though I was were. told the stories... But you knew the playbook, too. I didn't know the playbook. That's the difference. This you wasn't like this through. wasn't a blind this wasn't a blind no, audience. No, I'm eating a salad with this mint. You really are. <laughs> no, I was about no, to say we, we basically have a salad on drink. Great. We did Aaron at Whiskey Hollow Mill review. You did know what you were getting. To be honest, I, I, I didn't want to twist the knife too much, but I really did. And to be honest, no, you you, did, you came in with eyes open. He actually has, at the time, more experience than I did. Okay. No, it's true, because your active experiences up at the village were not... You heard a lot of stories, you experienced a couple of things, but it wasn't... I also wonder what It wasn't I, lost for three hours, and it ends with seeing a Hessian apparition. And this what did was I take it. with me? This was it. Like, like this was my epicenter. This is yeah. where my, like, into the... Like, this is was you know, my first, like, I can't explain what's going on here. Happened. No. And it's Which is pretty cool. It is really I, cool. That's actually pretty cool. You know what? We didn't think I, about that because b- beforehand, and I literally just said, I have to Matt say. has a knack for tying things to classic folk. This is, the, this is his high strangeness of things are not adding up anymore. Yeah. <sighs> um, so I uh, call it, maybe it's the booze. It's the booze. We'll blame the booze. We'll blame the booze. <clears throat> in, in the wake of the trip that I documented on episode three that I led folks up on, I will tell you, there was a fair amount of, like, written off as Jack just got us lost, and it was foggy, and people just did not want to wrap their heads around it, but that one staff member that saw what I saw, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't speak out against me, but man, he didn't come to my defense, and I have to say, I do not fault him or blame him in the slightest. So, the the Hessian village, the, the Hessian soldier that you saw... This is interesting. Literally myself and one other staff member, we were the only two that saw it. We were at the back of the line, and we f- I, it's because I suddenly flipped my light over to view it in response to that noise that I heard very close to our path. And he probably looked that way because he saw me quickly move and heard the snap. Let, it was hard to miss. Let me build three quick possibilities. Sure. I, I have three possibilities in my head. Let's see if I can remember them by the time they come out of my mouth. So you saw a green jacket, white pants, black boots. Hessian soldier. We understand I, this. I can't. 
Yeah, I, I cannot rectify it as anything else. You can't rectify it as anything else. You saw a Hessian soldier, meaning it is A, the ghost of a Hessian... I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to keep a tradition that I've already started on this podcast when I've listened back to these. Hear me out. A, it is the ghost of a dead Hessian soldier. Two... It's something that's wearing the skin of the ghost of a dead Hessian soldier. It is making a point to... It's wearing the skin because it's doing some form of deception. Yep. Or the third one, which is... You see a Hessian soldier because you expect to, to see, see a Hessian, Hessian soldier. soldier. The co-creative theory. So what I'm thinking is... That means map. You either saw a hessian soldier today and i like as you were saying i was like i can't wait to try to go back into this like even after this session and be like yeah i saw an apparition today what are the like where are the probability chances that that was a hessian soldier right what excites you more that it was or that it wasn't i i will tell you flat out because i think this was an important point and i think this was an important point based even on my own uh my own log when I saw the apparition, this was not a big deal. Yep. Yeah. I on the logged it. You clearly moved on. I logged it. I went, that was weird. And then I immediately moved on after giving you the notice. And I did not put any mind to it until we all started gathering back up. And we it... were walking down and you said, oh, you saw lights. And I said, yeah, I saw a weird thing, too. I saw this apparition thing, and then that's when it was like... Yeah, it's, so we're walking, by the way. We're not at the spooky part yet. No, and I'm we, hearing just, on the, we literally just I, I'm hearing out. on the radio, I just maybe saw an apparition. I'm like, what? Yep. That's... what? And, I mean, mind <laughs> you, we have just started. We're not cutting this... We're not, we're not cutting this short. No. So it was pretty much he... Matt did a really good job of making note of I saw it. It's gone now. Haven't seen it since... And so, I mean, the only logical response there is, hey, I think we're still at, you know, le level five here. It's pretty normal. Would you like to explain that DEFCON system, by the yeah, way? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we, it's cheesy, but we set up a DEFCON system, and it, it goes by the normal DEFCON system, which is... You know, the normal The normal, DEFCON as system. everybody lives their life by. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, so the DEFCON system. The real-world DEFCON system is DEFCON 5 is all is well, and DEFCON 1 is there are nukes in the air, get to your bunker. Uh, set up during the Cold War when that was a very real threat. So, you know, it's a very easy one that the ghosts of Hessian soldiers or things wearing them as a skin puppet would probably not recognize. And it's super easy for us to adapt because, man, we grew up in the collapse of the Soviet Union. It was great. Um... So, you know, DEFCON 5 is always normal, nothing's going on, and it graduates. DEFCON 4 is, hey, saw something, weird feeling, things are starting to ramp. DEFCON 3 is, we have confirmable, actionable, paranormal activity going on. Uh, can't refute it, it's definitely something like the orbs, apparitions, what have you. Uh, DEFCON 2 is, it is escalating, oh, three. and we are calling it a... You did 3. Okay. Yeah. Okay. DEFCON 2 is it is escalating and we are aborting. DEFCON 1 was something has gone seriously wrong. Ben and I cannot get out on our own. Or. Or HQ had to leave because something escalated. 
and we need external help to get out of there. And now something that's important to point out, there are two ways in or out of this area, because it's a path. It is. It's a trail. So and it is fairly circuitous. We have two ways. The fast way is the slightly flooded path that would take us most directly there. It takes 20 minutes to traverse. We did it in 20. We did it in 20. Which is what it should be. In the event that there is something bad, spooky, or very natural. I was going to say, remind them. Like and a bear. Like a bear. Or right? a bobcat. Between us and the exit. Between yep. us and the exit, then we're not going that way, and we're taking the long way out, which will take us much longer, especially in the dark. We went there during the day, it was and I was having a hard time keeping the path. It was pretty darn treacherous. It's about a 30 to 35 minute to just get, it, not, by the way, to the end of it. So it would it would add about 45 minutes to our exfil, our leaving. So... And that's to get us into a northern section of this camp, where it's now another 15 minutes. And it never, back. and it never came to that thankfully. Th- no, thankfully, it, it was... would take a lot. I'd be willing to just trudge through the water if it, things it... got spooky. I would just trudge through the water, probably. I'll tell you what. Even in like a DefCon One situation, I would have rather trudged through the water. Unless there's something that clearly path. that was, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so unless, unless harm is imminent. Right. In 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 short. Five. It sucked. <laughs> five is normal. Five is things are normal. Yeah. Four is thing. My understanding was that four was things are spooky. We're seeing the paranormal. So four, four is things are spooky, but they're fairly benign. Well, and again, like, we probably should have been in four. Let's be real. We probably should have been in four. You. So here's you here's the thing. You. Oh, four. sir. So uh, true. So I will. Say, in, I will take that. So in our ranking system, five is nothing strange is happening. Four. You is, should spend most of your life. At five. Four is that there is definitely a paranormal thing happening, but you're okay with it. It's like we've got an uneasy feeling or we've seen orbs. orbs. Uh, Last time we were here was a four. Until the end when we got spooked was a three. Potentially two. Potentially two. You're right. It was a two because it's three is... It's escalating. I'm starting to get uncomfortable. But we're not running yet. But I'm not running yet. It's bad, but I'm okay. Two, two is it's time, time to extricate. To and then one is I need help. Yeah, mm-hmm. one is we cannot get out the geography altering properties, the time dilation, or something else. Name the thing. And again... is not letting us leave, and we fucking need someone to pull us out. Yes. Yeah. Hey, we got our explicit content! Hey, yeah. look at us! Yeah. Monetized. Uh, it only took three dark and stormies to make us the cool, rebellious podcast host. I could be here with you guys for the journey. <laughs> it means so much. So, uh, but yeah, so and we were at five. Matt, we were at five this whole night. But yes. Matt, Matt could have pled for four. Could have pl- raised us to four in the first seven minutes. Can I plead my case on that? By yeah. all means. I legitimately, at the time, and again, I I can't stress this enough. I did not draw to the fact that this was so significant. Which it is, and I'm going to put I'm so, going to put emphasis on it. Yeah. I almost want to asterisk the point on here that it is. But at the time, I legitimately thought, oh, my eyes are playing tricks on me. And that was me with a lot of the lights I was seeing in the woods as well. Yeah, because and again, I even told Ben repeatedly, I think it's just my eyes. Okay, you know what? We're here. We're talking about the lights. And also, what's our runtime so far? Uh, we're at about 32 minutes. I have such wow. good news for you. You're not going to edit this portion at all. And we're going to talk about the lights. We're just going to talk about the lights. For all, I know, about it. Why this, not? for all I know, this is just going to be the episode. 
Could be. This time, and we're going to do a brief, by the way, there's going to be a guy named Matt. And no, here's no. What's, like, Here we are. No. We're going to Patreon paywall to screw everything. <laughs> it's time. It's time. They knew it was happening. All three of our listeners. Me included in that. Yeah. <laughs> All three of our poor Oh, crap. Listeners. We're, we're slowly pulling our listeners into the forest one by one. Um, I just love the outskirts with the, the technology. The megalomania grows. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Um, didn't even let me in the woods. I just had to sit out there and watch. You stay here. You stay here in the dark by yourself and you think about it. Uh, so I want to talk about dead skin. Please do. So you mentioned a couple times that it's something wearing Hessians is dead skin, which is a fourth possibility, by the way. It's not something is using the form of hessians because of the folklore people suspect it's whatever happened to the hessians they're stuck there and at the beck and call of this thing which is horrifying and i hate it i do not want that to be the reality no no that it's sad and it raises the risk level for us luckily i don't think that's the case yeah frankly even though they were not on the the right side they, no. They didn't. They, they wouldn't have deserved that ever. No. No. They were green coats, not red. So, um. You're gonna notice lobster bags. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to to talk about the lights that we saw. You were the first one to know the light. The floor is yours. I need to get water real bad. Fair enough. So. Yeah, I. Water. Yes. Uh, I'm going to have it on the side only so I can test myself to see how long it takes for me to actually take a drink of it. Thank you, sir. So, the, the lights. We didn't actually bear witness to them until we got to the village proper and we sat down on those stumps and we were posted up for at least 20 minutes. And that was when I looked over Back toward the trail, that was within my 180-degree arc of coverage. You know, Ben had the other. And I looked, and I saw what appeared to be just the briefest flash of a little blue-greenish ball that whoop, zipped through the trees, and it was fast. It was not like the orbs from last time, which were there, they were apparent, they were not being subtle, they were very... Um, they were very heat hazy, and well, that, that is going to be my article, my blog post, my dark and stormy recipe. So, quick aside, I will be posting the recipe for the dark and stormies on pondandgather.com. So I'll post my first. Okay, recipe. to explain that segue, okay. I, I did try to very uh, subtly and surreptitiously send a note that the name of the episode should be Dead Hessians Too Dark and Stormy. So if you're wondering yes. why Jack suddenly talked about Dark and Stormy, that is... It's because he was exactly loving his drink that much. Listen, listen, kids. Great recipe, number one. Love that I added that to my report. But number two, we're about three in, so bear with us. Um, right, so it was not like the ones from last time. They were orangey-red. They were sizable. The orbs, not the yeah, Dark and Stormy. The orbs. orbs, not the Dark and Stormy. Okay. Uh, and they moved very languidly, very heat hazy. Um, these were, it was fairly small, greenish blue, zipping through trees, 
which is exactly why my first thought was, I'm going to call this out to Ben just in case, but I'm not going to write off the fact that my eyes might be playing tricks on me as they adjust to night vision. We only just went dark with our flashlights off. Now, originally, when Jack said that he saw orbs in one direction, I made a point to look in the other. I'm going to keep our 360. Right. And... It's going to sound silly, but we're thinking that there are NHIs, non-human intelligences, that could be at play here. If something makes a bright light in one direction... Oh, it's a diversion. I'm going to assume there's a diversion of some kind, and it sounds so paranoid. But remember that if you've seen these things while you're in the woods at night, you, you don't want to leave your back exposed. Never. It's going to be a natural instinct, by the way. The most important thing to you, if you see anything strange in the woods... Or feel like there's anything strange in the woods. Do not fixate. It's that it you will have the instinct that whatever I'm seeing, what am I not seeing? That is yes. the first thing that will probably come to your mind, which is why you look over your shoulder. That's what's happening. It's I'm spooked. What is behind me? Yes. That's the first instinct. So Jack says, I saw an orb that way. I looked the other way. Smart. Well, eventually, I kind of want to look at where he saw the orbs. So I'm like, can we switch? Yes. So And I'm like, yes, I don't trust my eyes right now. I They might be messing with me. Please confirm what I saw. So what I saw, because uh, a, a few minutes later, within five minutes, I saw a light. I would describe it as silvery blue, a flash of light, a cold light in the distance. I could not surmise its distance. So it could be past the tree line. This means it could be a... Uh, an artificial light far in the distance. I don't think it was a plane because no. we could see planes in the skyline above that point. In the skyline, that that's not where the, a plane would have been. Thank you. Very convenient flight that passed overhead. It's a very convenient plane at that same point in time. Uh, I saw a quick glint that I then couldn't replicate by you know doing the snake charm or move my head around to see if I can spot where the light's coming from. And both of us did that because. Uh, it was a very still night, there was no wind, and so the only variation should have been from us moving that would have disrupted our visual, break, you know, the line to that light source. You ever notice that there's glitter on something because the light caught it just right? So the first thing you do is try to move your head back in that position so the light catches the glitter again. It's a again. really good analogy. I hate glitter. That is right. It's, um, it's that exact thing. It's, oop, I saw a light. If I can move my head back at that point and see a light and that light doesn't move, that's an artificial light, definitely. In other cases, it could be something that's moving or is artificial. But we saw this quick flash of a silvery blue light. I mentioned it some seconds later. Jack said, hey, did you see a bluish green light? Yep. Right there, pointed at where I saw it 25 seconds ago. Yes. So we saw it at the same time. I didn't see it move. No. I just saw the flash. I'm not sure if what that was was paranormal. In or part. was it something ambient through the trees that we <clears throat> were missing for whatever reason? And again, as, as Jack had said, the red orbs were there. They, they were not a trick of the light. No. There was no doubt because they were within 30 feet of us. There was they like had a movement pattern. There was multiple. Uh, the second thing that gave me pause uh, and made me jump 
Uh, I did see another light at one point in time. I don't know how to explain this. I could describe it as an aura on the right side of my vision, uh, a concave pattern that covered a third of the right side of my vision that was a white flash. Uh, as if there was a circle of light mostly out of my vision, or a, an, an oval of light so is the more accurate. Could I ask a question on that? Sure. Yeah. Would you describe it almost like you were side-faced to somebody taking a picture of you with a full flash camera? Very close, except the radius of the flash was so well-defined. Interesting. It was a very well-defined oval that I wasn't seeing all of. So while looking in the opposite directions, Jack, I saw this white flash that was so pronounced and so close to me, I assumed it was something five feet ahead of me and five feet to the right, that I flinched. I jumped to the left, commented on it. Jack pointed out that he didn't see any kind of radiant flash or light. Though these orbs don't seem to cast a radiant light. That's no, the weird thing about No, they don't them. emit an ambient glow, and that's not something we touched on until we were pretty much back. Mm -hmm. So I did, I did see a white light right by me at one point. I don't know if that was something external or if that was my eyes really playing tricks on me which i know my eyes playing tricks on me is a is a easy get out of jail free phrase but when your eyes are adjusting to the dark your eyes do weird things so the the rods and cones in your eyes shift and adjust in very odd ways for your natural night vision to adjust it's why when you wake up in the middle of the night even though your room is pitch black when you turn the light off, you can actually kind of see in your bedroom when you get up to get that glass of water. The rods and cones in your eyes have realigned to help you better see at night. It's why you can typically see in more of a monochrome without color. But, I mean, the, the human body is a weird and wild thing, and that process isn't always seamless. Your eyes can do really weird crap as it has to shift from color to low-light black and white. And that's why my first thought was, I would not be surprised if these were little starbursts from my laser-corrected eyes being kind of funky, having to adjust to very different lighting conditions than what they're used to. Right. I, I don't know what I saw. I don't know if I saw. That's frustrating, because compared to some of the other things we've talked about in this so podcast... So much less definitive. It was not... None of what, none of what we saw was definitive... And only once we talked to Matt at length was it like, that other thing kind of was definitive. Yes. It was quick. Mm -hmm. And again, you expect when you see an apparition, there is this understanding. I think mostly because of musical scores and ghost hunting shows and movies, that when you have a paranormal experience, something grabs you by the lapels and goes, bum, 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 bum. You expect it to be a lot more dramatic than it was. And really it's not. Is. No, truly. The... The horror hits you later. When you realize, I felt totally fine, except for this reality-shattering thing that shouldn't exist that's right there in front of me. And I think something that's extremely important to remember, too, yeah. because Ben did bring it up himself, in the notion that he wanted to he wanted to sway it, right? You got that little bit of a bored aspect out there, and you wanted to sway it. Yes. And that comes from something. And that specifically came from, we have all this build-up. Yes, we so have all this gear. We get out there. Of course, seven minutes into the thing, I see this apparition. Yep. 
the only thing going through my mind, other than my eyes just play tricks on me, that's not, that's not anything. Yeah. The big stuff's coming. Yep. I'm here for another hour and a half. Yeah, this can't be all. They right. haven't even we're hit the just, village yet. We're not at act three of the story yet. We're in the prologue. Like, we're not here yet. And it's super important to remember, these things don't act on cue. And expectation is so important with yes. this stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, even though it was not a very activity-heavy night, it was ultimately a very successful evening, because we were able to test, prove, and vet about four to five new technologies and tools into our investigations that I will actually say were fairly wildly successful. Not without some drawbacks, not without some bumps, but probably one of the smoothest dry runs for so many new tools and techniques that I've ever come across. And what a fantastic time to run it, too. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't think it would have been... Sorry. I don't think it would have been as quickly or as easily kind of deduced of all these things that were occurring and, you know, kind of the cons and the pros of them all if this had been an eventful night. God no. In the same way. I don't think we would have had the same perspectives because we would have been so drawn into we're right back in the weird of it. Yep. Let's... Let's revisit. Please. So, I want to hear from everyone what their theory is. Your theory was... Was your theory you can't make sense of it? Was your theory is I have no theory? Yeah, he he's throw up his hands. Okay, so because I, I challenge you, and I think I think this is important. Okay, because this theory that I just gave earlier on uh, was my theory as of now. My theory as of prior was that I still kind of believe the legend and that there is you know maybe some resemblance of a Hessian something going on here, but that there is a definitive something else that is lurking whether on the outskirts as the overarch, you know, the overarching entity, or maybe there is some type of conflict here. And that was in the theory thing, and I think that there's probably some agreeance that comes in with that. We've had even a few other stories from friends that have come since then that have almost put a little bit of an interesting kind of twist and theory into it. But, I don't know. I Now... If you were to ask me now, I don't know. I mean, I can definitely say maybe it is the same. Maybe it's the same thing. You know, maybe the apparition I saw was a Hessian soldier. Maybe it was a play of the light. You know, maybe it's just night vision being night vision. I can't fully prove anything yet. So your theory is still you don't know. Well, my theory as of today, as of the end of this night, is I don't know anymore. I need to think on it. Okay. That's fair. It was literally... Within the last couple hours. Yeah. So, that's that's probably a very healthy. That would be a very uh, that's a healthy good position. Theory. It's important. It's really important mm-hmm. that when one has just seen these things, and you were the one who had the experience of the evening. Well, it's such a say, different role from what I normally do too. Then it's going to take you time to formulate good opinions. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I've already reached mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Jack, you got anything? Yeah. So. I definitely, I don't want to steal your thunder, because I'm agreeing with your ultimate sequence of events. You can take it. You know what I'm going to say. I I know what you're going to say. So, listeners, all five of you, I love you guys. 
are going to hear a lot of parallels between this and Whiskey Hollow. But the Hessian Village has always been the big headliner, but I will even tell you from personal experience now, having been up there three times at night, that the village proper is not where the action occurs. In fact, the trip up is usually not when the action occurs. You walk along the path, you get to the village, you hang at the village for an undisclosed amount of time, and then you head back. And when you head back is when the bulk of the weirdness happens. Much like Whiskey Hollow, it's like you've hit that thread in the spider's web, and you've tripped it, and now it's going to go ahead and set up its production for you. Yes. So on the same, we're on the same page. Outdoor, these the outdoor forest hauntings. These forest hauntings seem to follow a pattern. There is a thing that has a territory. We like to think that the most historically relevant thing is the haunted thing. There was a war here. Someone died here. There is always, within 200 yards, a significant experience of humanity. So anywhere there's weird, you've got somewhere nearby to say, that's why it's weird. But it might have always been weird. And I think what happens is, this apparition, you pass through its territory, you get deeper into nowhere. You, you pass through the web. While you're past it, you're going to feel harried you're going to feel followed that's the spooky part you think you see something you thought you heard a noise sometimes not always on your way out of the web that you pass through to get in there you're through its territory now it's going to make its presence known it's feeding it's doing its thing it wanted you there for that's what seems to happen at whiskey hollow and i think that's what's happening here in the entrance seems to have a lot of significance which is why you saw it with night vision you didn't see it with your naked eye but it maybe seemed to have been looking at you Who knows? two people entered my web Wait, who's this guy oh he sees me crap I, it, that feels right to me something was watching you and was like oh he sees how does he see me well i mean we we broke the mold too right mm. in what way when in the course of anybody going up to this place has there been someone deliberately hanging back? There. That wouldn't be the norm at this camp. In fact, I would venture to say that nobody before has had an open line of radio communication to someone outside the area. It might have been quiet for us because there was someone at the entrance. We may have hit it with enough new things that we... I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say we intimidated it, but I think we caught it off guard. very open to that i don't know if we can do that twice no but that does mean take the same methods and replicate it and see what happens hmm. because it's the variable here and maybe add five new things i don't know <laughs> yeah whatever else we want to throw money at <laughs> this time we all wore really funny hats it won't see it coming uh thank you uh matt for talking with us after being back no problem i don't think I don't think the, uh, it, I, I wasn't too shocked by anything I saw tonight, because I just saw, you know... It was a romp in the woods. A little bit of a flash, and it was a romp in the woods. Well, we also prepared so well. Yeah. I don't know if 
anything you saw is gonna slowly deeply sink in i mean i'm definitely going to probably think about that apparition a while only because it is probably definitively my first one yep mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that again you can watch it on you can watch it on tv or see you know a youtube video of somebody posting their night vision capture or whatever the so the nonsense is and then you see this something in real life and no matter how many fakes are out there you look at it and go wow i kind of see what people are basing this on this one you but this one's mine but this one's mine if you want to know what seeing an apparition feels like wait till next time you see a wild animal yeah and just imagine that instead of that wild animal it was a plume uh, of smoke yep. and you'll say but that's not very scary no depending on the context no you feel scared because you're not ready to rectify what it is, and because we don't know what it is, it could be very it could be very dangerous. Many will tell you that it is. Uh, we'll tell you that it it may be. It could be. But but it won't look any different than how everything else in this world looks like. At least it's not going to emotionally or physically hit you mm. like it's any different. Yeah. It's a slow burn. When you, when you see an apparition, it is a slow burn. I was amped at the Hessian village on that one hike where I did see that section of a Hessian. But I will tell you that there was no dramatic lightning bolt. There was no chill of cold that stopped me dead in my tracks and mm -hmm. slowed my heart. Uh, no, it was we were already in a really rough state because we were lost in the mist. Things weren't behaving as they should. And now suddenly... It's the flipping cherry on the, you know, cherry on top. But it didn't feel any different. It was just jarring. Same with the Whiskey Hollow Shadow. I, if you would have asked me before that point, do you think it's possible to see a shadow thing in the middle of the day doing something like that? I would have told you uh, maybe, but probably not. But probably not. It belongs in dark, spooky things with sound effects. Yeah. Hans Zimmer scores it, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You really uh, but, you expect a place in time. But it was normal. There was no dramatic drop in temperature. The sun didn't pass behind a cloud. It's like, no, here it is. It's right there. It would be the same as if I saw a bear walking which across is, the path. Which is why, by the way, every time the clouds pass in front of the moon or there's a temperature drop, we note it out loud. We say, oh, it got dark. Yep. Oh, it got cold. In a lot of ways, popular culture taught us to feel that way. Can you feel suddenly cold or dark when something bad happens? Yeah. Sure. But it, it's going to feel different. You'll know. You'll know when it's happening. Um, anytime we're looking, essentially, for omens, oh, it's getting dark. Oh, it got cold. It. That's not what you're looking for. No. The the thing that happens will be so in-your-face real that you can't believe it was outside of the norm until you sit back later on and go, You have time to process it. That didn't add up. I think I saw... I think I saw some sort of thing. thing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And you won't be able to describe it. Yeah. Chapter 5. The Morning After the Weird So we meant to get this episode quickly. 
we patted ourselves on the back that we recorded an entire episode right then and there, the night of. We're going to have the sucker out in a week. And we sat on it. And we thought about it. We sat with the disappointment that we felt. Uh, This was, in so many ways, our least interesting outing. And we told ourselves, it's not going to be a hit every time. We're not going to find lights in the forest every time. Right? But we couldn't shake the feeling. The phenomenon had let us down. And in many ways, I think that was a good thing. We were very wound up leading up to this. A lot of things that were potentially all in our head, but several things that weren't had all coalesced together and put us into this really weird, I'll say vulnerable headspace leading up to this where our minds were very open to strangeness. I would say too open. Okay. Um, there's a, there's a phrase there's a phrase from another podcast that I really like, which is letting your mind become so open that your brain flows out of your ears. And I feel like we were very much in danger of that. And so having that kind of, and it it did feel that way a little bit, that wind taken out of your sails feeling of getting up there and really not experiencing much of substance. It wasn't this harrowing, night in the mist with something looking like a hessian soldier stalking you or it wasn't this mystical winter night where these orbs are dancing around you it was it was a night in the woods it was a fun night in the woods absolutely loved it we got to test out a lot of really good stuff we got to employ i think a very good system for field work and there was a lot that ultimately went very right that night but there wasn't that shadow chasing us you know so i i have a i think a pretty different perspective i think in a lot of ways the difference in our approach is i i think i have typically taken a more uh spiritual approach to a lot of this and i don't want to just say i'm the tuition the the intuition guy you're the Uh, data and analysis guy, right? But I think that I've latched very much onto the the romance of the lights in the woods and the mystery in the adventure of it. And (sighs) two things. One, I'll always enjoy being in the woods and I... You know, I'll be in the woods at night. My issue was that I didn't have fun. It, it was it was waiting for Santa to show up because we were told, right? We were told that something was supposed to happen that night, that that's what the story was supposed to be. We're we're the main characters. There were and omens and everything. And there were omens and everything. And and we sat there. And. Nothing happened. Yeah, I, I saw the light 
that that flicker of light but i i think that was you know cones and rods in in the dark you yeah. know you, you're I, I saw a flash we saw a light but that light was mundane whatever it was there was a rational explanation for that light that was nothing special there, there was nothing that you or i saw that couldn't be adequately explained and i do believe that matt saw something oh i fully because do. because matt was looking in the right direction. And what I'd like to do is, in a moment, I'd like us to have a conversation about what useful information we did get. But I also wanted to address the high strangeness thing is, again, first, I felt let down. And that that snapped me out of the high strangeness a little bit is a I'll part of why- a I, good thing. Yeah, part of why I didn't have fun is because High strangeness is a preset module in many ways. Yeah, everyone can make of it what they want, but this whole idea of a phenomenon being this intelligent thing takes the mystery away out of everything. Well, it can't be the lights in the woods must be the phenomenon. The the whispers and the bells on Downs Road was the phenomenon. All it, sense of wonder is gone. All of it. It's all just a cynical trick. And it's nice to divorce from that a bit. Also, yeah, I like some of the methods that we employed. I think it's I think it's great to have someone observing a place different than where the rest of us are going. I think there's a big advantage to that. That was one of my favorite parts, to be honest. I think it was that good was having useful. someone out of the kind of the weird zone on a radio. It's just peace of mind. Yeah. It lets us focus on what we're yeah. immediately doing. Uh, the radio I could do without. I I, I think, uh, you know, I think when he saw something that's important to report, but the at check in every 10 minutes, I don't know. You know, this isn't a military operation. You know, I, I think that that pulls us I, out of the space that we're I'd trying agree. to connect to. I'd agree that it's situational. Knowing, I don't think that it's yeah. necessarily needed for everything. It wasn't needed that night there might be some other dangerous areas that we go into where that's actually a really good thing to have but not for the weird that's there yeah i think i think when there's a human element i think that that's really important i think that there uh, will be times i mean okay so like let's say flash forward five years and we're checking out high strangeness in the great smoky mountains yeah that's that's radio check-in that's radio not check every in. 10 minutes but no, but like feral people missing 411 other potential cryptids and weirdness that are around they're like oh yeah no i want a nice reassuring voice on the other end of the radio that can go get help safely if we go quiet yeah i, I agree with you on that i i think that there is a there's a tool for each job yeah and i'm i'm glad that i'm glad that our methods are already evolving and getting more sophisticated that's pretty cool the end of the day i i never want to lose focus from there is something about i'm comparing i'm comparing the first time we went to downs road that's the fairy circle folks with the most recent time while visiting you we took a peek at downs road and that was i want to say i want to say that was december yeah it was it was november december. or december it was december. december and and being in the high strangeness headspace was again like 
well, it, it can't be what we thought it was it because was, it's the phenomenon. I'll call it what it is. It was a buzzkill. It was such it's such a buzzkill. And being able to being able to explore with the eyes of a child sometimes and, and see these things with wonder, I think also is what lets that happen in many ways. I, I don't know. It, that, that seems to be when we had our luck. Or it could be nothing happened at the Hessian village because you didn't make that pull from that deck of cards. Mm, let's entertain that. Let's entertain that for a moment. Right. right. Let's say, let's say that it was high strangeness. Oops, we're wrong again. There was a narrative and everything seemed to point in the direction that Jack is going to have a great revelation in the forest that is calling to him. If I would just pull from that deck of cards at the Hessian village. And you didn't. No, and I didn't. So to be fair, if that narrative was real, even if it was real, you did back out at the last step. I did. I I balked at it at the very last possible second. Glad you did. Oh, I am too. I don't regret it for an instant. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. (laughs) <laughs> but you know that that's something because both things can be true right there can be there can be something and th- this is just my belief system i do think there are a great many things that define our path that remain unseen i think some are almost infinite i think some are infinitely powerful and i think some really super aren't but could something have taken an interest in you sure or maybe this was the test and you passed it we have no way of knowing at this point in time no and in some ways better off not so some some things that uh i also wanted to make sure that we had a chance to talk on uh before we go we've we've touched on the risk of losing the plot We've talked about kind of the, the perils of high strangeness, and this is something that when we first started recording today, we touched on quickly, and we, we were like, this is a tangent. We're going to have to go back to this later. The idea of high strangeness kind of becoming a proto-religion in many ways. It's it's very wild. Like Ben said, there there is an overarching phenomenon with a capital P this this grand puller of puppet strings that's taken many forms in the popular culture that is high strangeness you know it's the trickster entity it's this overarching consciousness that is leading you along onto a journey of enlightenment self-discovery just to mess with you the jury's kind of out despite whatever the changing popular consensus of the second happens to be right now there is another element that makes high strangeness as a belief system function as a religion, which is that they, they do have a belief in an ultimate deified being, which is the phenomenon. Yeah. It's the idea that all these weird things that happen are a all-powerful will that pull pull our strings 
lead us along a preordained fate, manipulate us in ways that we cannot understand. You know, I, I'm not opposed necessarily to that idea. I, I mean, in my own belief system, that that's what the idea of the Holy Spirit is. You know, as someone who has a very Catholic mindset, uh, that's what that is. So I can't I can't knock that as an idea because I'm very comfortable with the idea that there is a deity or that there is a unknowable, mysterious force that leads us down strange and troubling paths of trial and tribulation to bring us closer to the idea of divinity. Love that. That's great stuff. Um, and if UFOs and poltergeists and lights in the woods and shadowy figures alongside roads are all real too, it would be under that being's purview. So to me, the phenomenon is what I think of as the Holy Ghost. That that that's my worldview. So I'm I'm not putting that on anyone else. That's how I make sense of this in many ways. So I'm not knocking it for behaving like a religion. It fits neatly into mine in many ways. But I do I do find a, a very strong irony that this avenue of thinking is very quickly getting its own dogma and tenets of belief. It is becoming that which it routinely shuns. It really is in a fascinating way. So they also, again, strive to uh, typically a, a unified theory of everything. Uh, that was something that was pretty popular. Uh, a grand unified theory, I believe, is the exact term. Yeah, and it's it's I'm pretty sure that also applies to, to the paranormal. And, yeah. and it's it was big, like 60s through 80s in a, in a lot of ways. And it it's getting it a got popular again. It really, yeah. it really is. Um, but to me, the high strangeness, the way that you can go out and find it on social media, the way that you can find it in books, um, it's no fun and it'll drive you mad. That's, yes. that, that's no way around it is you can't help but sip from it as you research because there are some strange things out there. And high strangeness is the community that's got all the cool stuff. Oh, They're, it's it's everywhere. They're watching the weird stuff happen. And if you're into the weird stuff, you're going to run into the high strangeness. Watch out that as you go down that path, everyone's taken all the weird stuff and they've made a big old stew out of it. And they've stirred it all up. And we always say that, well, I'll say as above, so below. The world that is strange and unseen will behave much like the observable world as we understand it. Squirrels and mushrooms are technically related in a very complicated way. <laughs> Similarly, we believe that the world of the unknown is as complex and diverse as the observable world. It is not one big soup. <laughs> It's not and, an everything pizza. And that really is what drives a lot of how we approach and study these sorts of things. That's why we try not to actively engage. When Jane Goodall was studying apes, you know, finding completely heretofore undocumented members of the great apes, 
initially it was passive observation before it was active engagement. And that's what we're trying to do now. Passively observe, study, document. We want to see these things in their natural habitat without us influencing what they're doing. And more importantly, shamelessly going to say more importantly, not opening up to having them interact with us because we have observed the effects of what that type of direct interaction does to a person. And there can be benefits. There have been some in some isolated instances. Uh, there have also been a lot of really not great effects that the paranormal and the strange have on someone's life. You need to treat it responsibly. Yes, absolutely. You need to choose how you're consenting for it to, to enter your life. And it could be limited to listen to two people talk for a long time about their experiences. <laughs> um, a, a big thing is to watch out for the cynicism of communities that might tell you that the world is void of truth or meaning. There is one truth that I'm certain of, which is that this is a world full of wonder. And on that excellent note, we are going to go over a few bits of shopkeeping, but stick around after that, and I will give you guys some excellent advice on how to properly deal with energy drain should you find yourself falling victim to it. So first, I wanted to thank uh, a couple people for the help on the podcast. Uh, as always, Beezus Taylor and the Funeral Party for permission to use one of their songs for our theme, Into the Red Light. Their album is amazing, and you should go on Spotify, give it a listen. Two, I wanted to thank Toxic Dreams we commissioned for our new logo, which has our jackalope mascot on the front. We haven't named the jackalope yet, but the day will come. And he is now featured front and center. He is no longer partitioned off like a butcher's diagram. So his fate seems more optimistic these days. So again, that's Toxic Dreams. We we have a link on Instagram. If anyone needs any kind of uh, logo or design done that kind of fits that very particular niche aesthetic, that is a thing to take a look at. But just she she really has some... Uh, Jerry has some like amazing artwork. Uh, it's it's very like spooky over the garden wall stuff. So we are also working on another project at this point in time. It is a response specifically to John Keel's Mothman prophecies, and uh, we're calling it uh, Mothballs for Mothman. It is going to be released independent of our numbered episodes, much like our little bonus content that we've done before except it's going to be much longer. We're going to go through the book chapter by chapter, picking it apart and giving it, I think, some well-deserved critique. So that having been said, Jack, the floor is yours. All right. So a few takeaways from my first encounter with an energy-draining entity. We'll just go over really quick a few of the things that my brother and I did to bounce back from it couple of good suggestions to maybe proactively combat that sort of thing if you think you're going to run into it and just a generally good approach so let's go ahead and kick this off step one hydrate drink water 
it's the solution to most of life's problems, and it's still very much the same here. You're going to wake up feeling hungover, treat it like a hangover, and start start drinking water. Second, same vein, eat a banana. Why a banana, you ask? It's a great source of potassium. Uh, it has a good, holistic, manageable amount of natural sugars. It's going to give you that really good kind of boost and take a little bit of that headachey funk away. In addition to that, get cozy. Go ahead, throw in a bathrobe, some warm clothing. You know, you're you're going to feel like you're dragging. This is going to kind of be a curl up and recover morning. Other than that, prepare yourself a good, healthy meal. Breakfast, brunch time, maybe some eggs, some fruit, some yogurt. You want good, balanced nutrients to get you back on track. Now, we didn't know what we were coming into. We were figuring it was an outing in the woods, and it went very off the rails from there. So all we could do was recover. Something that Ben and I have talked about in response to this and an acknowledgement of it, if you're going on a hunt and you're expecting to run into something like this or you're you're going you're digging into the weird bring some pedialyte or some um liquid iv just one of some of those good electrolyte drinks if your electronics start dying maybe pound one of those get your nutrients up because if it if there's something draining your electronics there's also something draining you and if you can start that fight early I can't prove it hasn't happened yet, but maybe just maybe you won't wake up feeling so crappy the next day. So that would be energy drain and how to fight it. My closing thoughts for all of you would also end with a call to action. I challenge all of our listeners to embrace the wonder, resist the cynicism. One thing Ben and I are looking to do is return to a more pure sense of adventure as we continue on our future investigations and leads, we're going to actually be taking a bit of a break from high strangeness and the paranormal. We're going to kind of step back from the unseen. We're not abandoning it. We'll be back, but we need a little bit of a palate cleanse. And we think you guys do too. So next time it's going to be Bigfoot. <sighs> Can't wait. I'm, I'm pumped. We, as always, we have theories. Haunt and Gather, a paranormal podcast exploring the new American folklore in the great outdoors, is written and produced by Jack Krisky and Benjamin Begensky. Our theme song, Into the Red Light, is used with permission and performed by Beezus Taylor and the Funeral Party. You can check out her album, The Ghost Hunter's Handbook, on YouTube and Spotify. 